What's up, my friends? This is Alex Hillman, your co-host for Stacking the Bricks, and I am so excited to welcome you back to another episode of the show. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be doing something that Amy and I have never done before. We're going to be coaching someone live for you. Well, for them, but you're going to get to listen in. But before we get into that, I just want to send a personal welcome and thank you to all the new listeners of Stacking the Bricks, because a ton of you joined us in just the last week. Now, last week we shipped an episode called The Life-Changing Magic of Shipping. It was a bit of a riff on a book that Amy was reading called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. And surprise, surprise, at least to us, this episode was a huge hit. Thanks to you guys, the listeners, and many of you who have been longtime readers, of course, our show spent nearly three whole days topping the charts in iTunes. We hit number seven in the business category overall. We hit number two in the careers category, the subcategory of business. And tons of new people found the show. So we're so excited to meet all of you, so excited to welcome all of you back. And we can't thank you enough for listening, for rating, reviewing, emailing us, tweeting at us. The outpouring of appreciation with this show has been overwhelming and a ton of fun. And of course, those of you who have shared the show with people in your lives, in your business, we can't thank you enough. Now, regardless of whether you've been reading Amy's blog for a while, or if you're a brand new listener to Stacking the Bricks, you're about to hear something that is completely new. We've never done anything like this before. Because it's one thing to think back on how things went while you were building something or shipping something or growing your business or whatever you were learning, and you can sort of clean things up into a neat, tidy little story and then share it with the world. Well, we want to challenge ourselves because we think it's something else entirely to work through challenges, the real challenges of creating something new. It's raw and imperfect, and it's tough to get that stuff. So today's episode you can think of as more of a masterclass than a lecture or even a story. Because our goal with today's episode is to help you see the practical application of our 30 by 500 principles and to capture the experience and emotions that everybody goes through when learning how to do this stuff and launching their first product business. You're about to hear a real live coaching session with a very good friend of mine and Amy's. Her name is Amanda Thomas. Amanda works with me at Indie Hall, and she has an independent publishing business with a friend of hers, and they recently uncovered a gold mine of pain in the process of converting ebooks into Kindle and Nook formats. It's something that we hear a lot about in our audience, people struggling with, and it's something that Amanda had never done before recently. I'm going to let Amanda introduce herself in this problem in just a moment, but before I do, there's a couple of things that I'd like you to look out for while listening to this episode. First... I want you to realize that while she's resourcefully self-taught, Amanda will be the first to admit that she's not an expert in ebook publishing, not even close. And second, I want you to notice some of the specific hesitations, concerns, reservations, and anxieties that Amanda has about putting this product together, because maybe, just maybe, you've had some of these similar hesitations yourself. Now that's enough of that. Let's get on with this little micro masterclass all about how to turn pain into a product. So say hi to Amanda Thomas of Lantern Fish Press, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, I am Amanda, and I started a little publishing company with a friend about a year ago at Indie Hall. And part of what I do there now is ebook conversion. But we started publishing just a couple of books last year and are hoping to publish four this year. So a small but hopefully growing publishing company. 
So those are print books that also have ebook components. Yes. And now some ebooks that are standalone, just ebooks, especially public domain content. And if I remember right, you learned how to do the ebook conversion stuff basically while doing it. Yes. Um, we, when we put out our first book, we paid somebody to do the ebook conversion the first time. And I spent more time babysitting that person than was entirely reasonable. So I taught myself how to do it the next time. And you're not a programmer. No, I'm definitely not a programmer. Just married to one. We see him in the background. Yeah. Thomas, you can say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the same Thomas that I talk about, for the record. So, uh, how did you learn how to do the, the, create the ebooks yourself? And by ebooks, we're talking about Kindle and EPUB formats, right? Yes. I started by just reading everything I could find. Like, I started with Wikipedia and went from there. And the first real hurdle that I bumped into is that creating the EPUB archive on the Mac, you can't just change the file extension from like a zip to a, an EPUB. You actually have to like get the thing stacked up correctly. So I dug around looking for a tool that would basically zip and unzip the file correctly. And with some help from Thomas, I found like some little forum post with this little zipper unzipper tool. And once I got the, the archive open, then like it's just HTML and CSS underneath. And the IDPF puts out a really detailed spec on exactly what documents you need. And I just sort of started working through them one at a time. So you, did you find a lot of great resources out there that held your hand during this no. process? <laughs> no. I can't even find a decent editing tool. I tried using um, two open source tools, one called Sigil, one called Calibre. And they were both useful because it sort of let me see the overarching file structure in the beginning. But they both have serious problems because they don't necessarily conform to the current EPUB 3 specification. There's not good documentation that shows you where they comply and where they don't. They individually have different problems from each other. So I had a lot of trouble, for instance, with a, a table of contents issue that I couldn't figure out. Because one was for EPUB 2 and one was for EPUB 3 and they wouldn't talk to each other. So there's no good tools. Sounds horrible. What, what do other people do? Like, how, how do people survive? I how are these housewives know. who write vampire novels and self-publish them on the Kindle store? How do they do it? I am assuming that <laughs> they are simply paying somebody the 250 or 300 bucks to get their thing digitized. Um, I, my guess is it's just a straight-up export from whatever program they're using, and then hope for the best. There seem to be a lot of very badly formatted books out there. Yes, and I think that... The dearth of tools is probably a good reason why. Once I figured out how to open up EPUB files, I started taking ebooks that I knew were good and that looked beautiful and taking them apart so that I could see what they did. Again, just beginner steps. <laughs> yes. So in addition to um, the motivation to do this, to like have a nice looking Kindle book, and in addition to the the desire to i guess as part of that have a commercially successful kindle book in addition to that you had to literally dissect uh, a file like an archive and it just so happened that you had enough html css knowledge to be dangerous yeah and 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 again the motivation and willingness to learn more and the spec. Let's not. Let's never forget the spec. So, like, the, that that's not exactly a, a, a deck stacked in your favor. 
No, but I think that I mean, some of the credit goes to Thomas, who is a programmer. So when I was stuck and didn't know how to proceed, like I had someone to ask and be like, what is this? How do I do this? Um, Thomas has since taught me how to use nifty things like source control, which is really helpful. Excellent. And I have, I've even stuck my toe in the water on things like Vim, though the learning curve there is about like a brick wall. So Not worth it. I haven't gone that far. <laughs> Colon Q quit. Colon Q bang to quit. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> if you made changes, use a W as well. <laughs> were there things that you were digging into before you even were like, okay, I have to hunker down and like learn all this technical crap, like other guides, other resources, even other people asking the same question as you? Were you bumping into stuff like that out on, on the web? I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there now to learn HTML and CSS, especially like there's things like Code Academy. There's a lot of good books out there. But I basically, I think I stumbled on across one, one or two books that were about the EPUB format itself, but they weren't guides on how to actually do it. Oh. Um, what were they then? Well, no, let me see. I can... <laughs> if, if not that, then what? <laughs> no, exactly. they're predominantly just informational. Like there's one, um, what is EPUB 3, I think was the most helpful. It's an O'Reilly publication. No, no shit. And that, that is all it is. It's like, what is this thing? And it was helpful when I found it because it told me like what the pieces that I needed were and it helped me to better understand the technical specification that I was trying to read, which didn't have any of like, I guess the, the technical specification says you need these specific things, but it doesn't tell you what they are or what they do. Right. Mm. So having these two things together was helpful. But it didn't actually say, here's how to make a nice book. No, there was no process. There was no, no guide on what to do in what order or why to do it that way. Just for those of you who are following along with audio only, Alex is now cradling his forehead. I'm doing the, I watched the SNL 40th anniversary thing. I'm, I'm channeling Stefan, my little, my little teepee of secrets. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, and I mean, so Amy and I know Amanda well. And so Amanda's is all of those things motivated and creative and resourceful. But I, I cannot imagine. And I mean, Amy and I have intentions of publishing just fucking a ship. In these formats, and that's uh, part of where this conversation started. Is like we're not going to do this. And yeah, Amanda and... came over for coffee, and she was <laughs> telling me about how she made an ebook cover that crashed the reader. And I was like, "Fuck that!" Yeah, no, I... I was like, "Please, let me pay you to show me how to do it, so I don't have to go through that myself." <laughs> and then the other part of it is, like, you had already paid somebody to do it. And that wasn't a solution either. They did a terrible, terrible job. Like, I really think that she expected to just be able to take our file, which was all beautifully formatted for print in InDesign. And it was a big file. And this book is 280 pages um, with illustrations and interesting typography and other things going on. And I think she expected just to, like, push the export button and have it work. It didn't work. And we spent three or four weeks kind of going back and forth on a daily basis going, no, you actually have to make that image go where it goes. So it wasn't just the couple hundred dollars you were mentioning earlier. It was just weeks of time. Right. And, and we learned a lot of other things in that process too, though, which was helpful. Like, for instance, we learned a lot about international font licensing, which is a really complicated <laughs> issue <laughs> because... All fun. The ebook converter that we paid was in Canada, and so the license that we held in the United States, which is a software license, not an 
creative license um, doesn't apply for her. So we had to do this weird negotiation with the foundry in the Czech Republic to ensure that our ebook converter in Canada had the rights to the font and like all that stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> it was an adventure. This is like a, this is, this is like a soap opera as the ebook turns. It gets better. When we Does did anyone the- die and come back to life? Well, after we, we did all this for the first book, which was public domain, Sherlock Holmes, we, I, I did the ebook for our second book, which was The Afflictions, and we had a particular font that we wanted to use, and so I went through the shenanigans of figuring out how to get it properly put into the EPUB file and have the right encryption and be subsetted and all that stuff, only to discover that our print-on-demand provider couldn't handle it, and they kept kicking back the file because they couldn't deal with the font encryption. They couldn't apply certain kinds of DRM and they only allow you to submit a single EPUB file and then they convert it to multiple formats and they send it out to all of these retailers. So we ended up having to go all the way back and choose a basically an open source font um, because there was no way that we could both adhere to our font license and get these people to distribute it for us. <laughs> We're just staring at her. <laughs> This is stressing me out so much. Yeah, yeah. Alex is turning red. <laughs> <laughs> I, I admit that I had a couple days in there where I just sort of rage quit my job and went home after lunch. So, yeah, I think you earned it. So, pe- people call it scratching your own itch, which half the time, if not more, leads to things that nobody wants because you are not going to be your customer. But when you have such so much evidence of a market. Like the Kindle self-publishing market is enormous. They've got, you know, tons of hits. They've got lots of people who are not, you know, world-renowned who are making a great living. And if you're finding service providers aren't offering it and the books aren't helping and the forums are useless because no one even understands the problems that you have, that says opportunity. Amy, when you say service provider, are you referring to the, like the, the contractor? I was thinking full stack. <laughs> You've got the contractor didn't know what she was doing, which in my experience, the hiring contractors, nine out of 10 contractors in any field don't know what they're doing. But I mean, you spent a month of your life on this, which is pretty, pretty crazy. The, the font license people don't sound like they know what they're doing. The distributor doesn't sound like they know what they're doing. And before Amanda started talking to me about all these travails, I had no idea what a book distributor was for if you were publishing an ebook, for example. So it would never even occur to me that I had to worry about font licenses and um, all that stuff. So it's like you don't even know what you don't know. That's like, the story of this whole process. Right. And it seems like nobody knows. I think that there are lots of, I think there are people that do know, like I certainly bumped into my fair share of like forum posts in some squirreled away corner of the internet that had some tiny snippet of useful information, but I didn't find anybody who bothered to gather it into one place. Okay. That's, that's good. That's good evidence right there. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. We normally advise our students to go a hundred percent from finding watering holes where people are discussing their problems or asking questions, but that while extremely valuable, there's other types of evidence too, which we're talking about now. So <laughs> you could st- tell someone today walked up to you and said, I need to do um, an EPUB and a Kindle version of my ebook. What do I need to worry about that they, I don't know about? And you could tell them. Yeah. It's like the hidden lurking dangers. Yep. Some people don't even know that they're going to have. Well, I think uh, especially with things like 
particularly the font licensing. I think that there are a lot of ebooks out there that are in violation of their font licenses. And if you're self-publishing a book, that's probably not a huge deal. If you're a publisher, then that matters. Right. Well, even if you self-publish, it's just a risk exposure that you don't need. Yeah. Especially if you haven't set up a corporation to shield yourself and blah, 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 blah. Right. So where has that brought you to today, Amanda? Because I know we've been chatting a bit back and forth about sort of outlining all this stuff that you had to learn and sort of like bullet pointing out sort of what you even gathered and where you're at. So what is it that you've pulled together at this point? So at this point, I have a pretty solid outline of a process for how to do this that starts with setting up the tools that you need and getting the various pieces together to sort of set yourself up for success. All the way through the very last stage was just like sort of testing and debugging things, preferably on actual hardware if you've got it. Um, that's how I found things like my cover size bug. But really, it's a it's a fairly simple process, and I think a lot of it... A lot of what I learned says that you, it's really important to do your design up front so that you know what you want your ebook to actually look like. So you're not both trying to make it look that way and figure out what that is at the same time. And then like taking the time to set up your file structure correctly and get your images into the correct formats and the correct sizes so that when you go through and do the styling, it's pretty fast to just sort of clip through the, the content and get it done. So I, I kind of took a trip down memory lane to the days when I was a social studies teacher, thinking about <laughs> like how to layer in, in this information in a way that would help other people figure it out. And I have a pretty fleshed out outline at this point of what that is. Do you discuss at all whether people should go with a distributor or things like that, decisions that are sort of further up the chain? Um, I actually hadn't really thought too much about whether or not like you decide to go with a distributor or not. I think that applies more, especially if you're doing just um, if you're doing both print and ebooks. So, for instance, we didn't have a choice about going through a distributor with an ebook because the book was with them in print. And that right. means we have to do it through them. But I think that if you're producing your own work, to, especially to self publish, it's not necessarily a really pertinent question. It's much more relevant for a publisher. That's true. But a lot of these people seem to do print as well. Not all of them, and not, not even a huge chunk, but like a lot of the. People aspire, I think, to have like a paperback as well. Don't you I think? think that that's true. And I think that um, particularly Amazon sort of allows you to separate the two. But uh, there are a number of print-on-demand services now that sort of cater to this market. Amazon's CreateSpace and IngramSpark are the two big ones. We're currently using IngramSpark for our own print-on-demand. I don't really know what to say about them other than I can't wait to have a real distributor. <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it's a little disconcerting when you're, you're a small publisher and you interact with your distributor and, and Amazon starts to look friendly. That, that's a little awkward. Woof. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, wondering, so. I'm wondering if even, you know, in, in the realm of what we often advise, so again, a lot of our advice can fall on a spectrum. Even the fact that there's a distinction between people who are just doing ebooks and people who are doing ebooks as part of a bigger package, I think there's a big advantage to zeroing in on just the ebook publishers for now. Um, if no other reason, it leaves you the opportunity to do an you know a second edition with some focus for the, the publisher decisions, the font related things, licensing, and and so on. Um, the big benefit. 
well, there's two big benefits off the top of my mind, and Amy, I'm wondering what you think about this as well. Uh, the first one is it allows you to narrow the scope of the product. Just It's faster to get out there. You can focus on sort of the end-to-end, not just the technical knowledge, but the way you described it as a process. So it's do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. And the more decisions that you introduce, the more likely it is that people either stop at a step or get confused or... Again, you just have a fork in in sort of like two groups of people that you're trying to explain how to do it to. Well, and I feel like especially the the step of making the design decisions, that's a lot of decision making. And I'm not sure that how much people appreciate the number of decisions that go into the way a book looks on the page. But, then, you know, the next time you crack open a book, look at how much space there is at the bottom of the page. I promise you somebody thought about how much space there should be. I think given a lot of the books that I read, there's no one thinking about them at all. (laughs) So what Alex said about narrowing the scope, making it we call crispy. So it's like, so you want to publish your first Kindle book is kind of like the level of specific specificity that we're talking. Uh, I think it makes complete sense to not address the distributor stuff. However, that would make a great e-bomb, a blog post that would get people in who were at the top of the funnel, so to speak. Right. And then kind of suck them in to the, it's more like a whirlpool really than a funnel. <laughs> suck them vortex in. Vortex of doom. Yeah. Into your orbit, your vortex. Well, it also lets you test out, like if a, po- if a post like that gets a lot of traction, then you're like, okay, I know there's people that actually care about this versus those publishing houses that to Amy's point, they're not thinking about it. They don't prioritize it. And so they're not going to spend money on it. And this is something that I think there needs to be evidence for. There's something very special about the artisanal nature of what you do as a publisher that the big publishers, even though they've got a lot more money to spend and a lot more resources to throw at the problem, just don't care. It's true. But I was, I was thinking like, should I go with the distributor or not? That's a question that doesn't need to make it into the book, but it's a great, it's a great bit of marketing content. Um, and you could do other things like, you know, why is my ebook crashing readers? Like that, that's a general lesson you want to have in the product itself, but it's also something that people might find when they're having a problem. People search for problems, right. especially if it's, you can cite other places or other people it's happened to. Um, and as, as far as des- like design education goes, a lot of people who are setting out to self-publish a book are not going to have the eye that you have. That's true. You know, the whole reason you guys got together to put out the Sherlock Holmes is to make it beautiful and wonderful and hand illustrated. And if you could get 10% of the Kindle authors to even know what a margin is at all, that would be a huge <laughs> accomplishment. <laughs> I think like, there's also like in the, under that design umbrella, I have a whole bunch of, of little bullet points for myself. And some of them are things just like, how do you do digital publication for more technical books? Right. Like, digging through all of these HTML and CSS resources to figure things out. I start thinking, oh, man, how would I put this on an e-reader? Um, right. And making design decisions that help you support content, that make the content more understandable to the reader, is that's one of my little tidbits that I have buried in there, too. So you're thinking about how to include illustrations that look really good and how to format code and things like that on the Kindle as well. Yep. See, that's extremely crispy. So, and that's actually the the other reason I was saying, so part one, 
in terms of narrowing the decision, crispification, if you will, narrows the scope too, is it makes it really easy, much easier to communicate what the product is, what problem it helps solve. Like there's the big problem of the fact that this is a, just a complicated process and there's so many unknowns, but really, you know, is this a getting started? Is this a design guide? And the fact that we're talking about how to make Kindle books that look great is more specific than how to publish a Kindle book. Yes. Right. But the thing is, we'll also, it's less about what is this product about, even though those are the, that's the phrase that just comes out of anyone's mouth when they talk about this stuff. What we're actually doing is designing who it will really resonate with. So how to make a Kindle book is going to probably be vague enough that it doesn't attract much of anyone. How to format your design or, or software technical book for the Kindle and EPUB is really clear immediately who's going to be interested in that. Now, it may not be the size of the audience you want. And it may not be the best focus to start with. That's going to take research to find out. But it's, the question is, who buys and who can you help the most right, right now? And I was, I'm wondering, like, when you're looking for someone like the contractor that you were looking for, how did you actually go out and find that person? Um, I think Christine had gone out and looked for somebody in her extended network and found, like, somebody who had done the ebook conversion for a friend's self-published novel several years ago, and she had a, a decent portfolio and it was a reasonable price. And we're like, ah, well, this is more known than a stranger from the internet. Right. So we'll try it. Got it. There's a, you just said uh, another like bit of jargon that had sort of it's just not top of mind for me. But the idea of conversion, people are out there looking how to convert an existing design or layout um, is different from is different from the word create or publish or design or yes. design. So again, very intentionally choosing that word in in title and in description can let you focus on parts of. The, the... It's one of the more popular Google search terms for this problem. See, there you go. The The whole point of, of our class, what we teach, is you have to let the data, the other people who would be your customers, lead you. What are their problems? What phrases do they use? Do they buy things? How do those things spread among them? So you want to make sure that if you want to reach a certain audience, you want to use the words that they use versus design. If they say convert then use convert. If they say design, then say design. If they say sell, then you say sell instead of publish or whatever it is that they do so that you can reach them. But within the group of people who want to make Kindle books, that's not really an audience. It's more like who, what are the segments inside that who think and behave alike? So like your, your self-published romance authors probably hang out in different places than your self-published technical book authors. Um, and to a certain extent, I think there's some division in terms of what readers people are using as well. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess sort of my experience coming up through this was that the nook is the most finicky, horrible thing to develop forever. Um, and I did that one last as a result. Um, I basically made the nicest possible book I could using the EPUB format and reading it out on the iPad and then use that as the base file to convert to the Mobi version, which is for the Kindle and then went back and modified and, changed a bunch of things in order to make it behave nicely on the nook and which which one was crashing um the what happened was i was testing an epub format in the nook app on the ipad and the cover image was too big and it crashed the nook application and then it crashed the os too <laughs> <laughs> books are dangerous and, 
and you had to to delete your you had to delete the whole Nook app, including your entire library. And start over. <laughs> you 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 made a nuclear cover. A nuclear yes. ebook. It was just it was just a little too big, and and not by a lot. It was like you know fifty pixels in one direction, too big. But it's the right <laughs> it's the right fifty pixels or the wrong fifty pixels, if yeah. it, as it were. It, it, I was very glad that I had learned how to use source control by the time I bumped into this because for the life of me, it would have taken me a week to figure out otherwise. Yikes. So you've got an outline of uh, of your process and sort of all the things you want to take somebody through in in a guide. Um, the biggest missing piece left in the puzzle before the product's even built, though, is how are you going to reach the people who who are into this sort of thing. So you've already got, uh, you spent some time out there searching and you found some of those weird, obscure corners. If you found them, odds are other people have found them and will continue to find them. Weird corners are made of people, Alex. It's like, (laughs) there's no weird corner of the internet that was created just by, you know, machines. That's true. It's true. (laughs) And there's, and there's very few weird corners of the internet that Amy hasn't found. Um, so sort of the 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 technique that we talk about to sort of close that gap of how do you find those people and how do you get them into your orbit, so to speak, um, and more importantly than even aware of you willing to trust you and say, Amanda, someone who can help me, um, is e-bombs. Like Amy was talking about those couple of potential e-bomb topics, things that you can sort of pluck out that are relevant um, on sort of a concentric circles graph around the core, uh, the core problem that you're solving and the core for the core audience that you're addressing, but it lets you sort of dabble. Um, But I'm wondering what kinds of, of really quality free tips, techniques, the fact that this is code, maybe templates and code snips, you can put out there that address known problems that people are already looking for and tie that sort of stuff back to, hey, uh, I'll send you, if it's a code sample, for example, like I can send you a zip file. I just need to you know, shoot me your email address and I'll, I'll shoot you the zip file, that sort of thing. That's sort of the technique we use for having a good reason for somebody to give over an email address so that you can continue slinging them more great stuff over time. And then when your product is ready, you've got the ability to say, Hey, all that stuff I helped you with has gotten you closer. Here's the thing that can take you across the finish line. He's not talking about personally people emailing you, but signing up to a mailing list and getting an automated free goodie. Exactly. Right. Um, I think the obvious, the, the thing that jumps into my head is the most obvious choice would be a little checklist guide of some kind about how to format images for the different platforms, mm-hmm. like make them this size, do it this way. And distribute them across. How these I files. blew up the Nook, a guide yep. to images that don't explode <laughs> your customers' e-readers. Yes, especially <laughs> if you tie that to a, the story, like a, the little story of like, bet you didn't know you could literally destroy <laughs> to the point where you have to uninstall and reinstall. Yeah, I think there's that. That's the kind of it's it's fun stories that people will share it, but then you you, you come at it with a, a solution. Yes. Yeah. So like stuff like. Uh, it's really easy to be tempted. It's really easy to uh, flee from sharing free content because you're like, well, won't that make them not buy the book or whatever? Nothing could be further from the truth. No one goes to the the food court at the mall, eats one bite of bourbon chicken, and then 
never eats again. <laughs> it may not sell you bourbon chicken, but it doesn't totally kill your appetite for any food ever. Um, that's a terrible metaphor. <laughs> Forget I said that. I'm I'm hungry. <laughs> now, I was going to say, now, now I want bourbon chicken. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have some pulled pork after this. Anyway, um, giving away some of the content that's in your book. You don't have to like write the content, then give it away. Uh, you don't have to like, write the book and then like give a free chapter. It's like a free chapter. No one ever wants a free chapter. What they want is to solve a problem. So if you, for example, ha- have this image formatting guide, and then of course there's a lot more information in your book. You can tell a story uh, of exploding it, and you can say, hop on my email list, and I will send you my guide for images. And then you can say, by the way, all this other stuff is in my book, and you want it. And um, you can say, well, here's how to, you can have a blog post on, you know, like, here's how to do drop caps or something in this specific scenario. Or, you know, here's how to add those little little thingies between chapters. Or what to do if your little thingies between chapters won't show up. What are they? Right? But you don't have to, you can tell people some stuff, and then they're going to want more. Um, and more importantly, you solve one problem for someone, and they realize they have a bunch of other problems. And it's the feeling of scarcity. We're like, well, I can't, if I give away this, they won't, won't buy anything. It's not true i've learned so many things doing this there's plenty to tell people (laughs) right you could probably go on forever one of the things that sort of uh, that i know a lot of our our students have struggled with is they they write useful things but they don't know how to get it in front of the people that would find them useful so another narrowing technique so i think this example of of this image formatting thing is awesome as like a like a major super high value i think i think this is like the equivalent of a mini guide of some sort. This is going to be super high value. The thing that can bring people back to that are more narrow focused questions. The people that are already actually out there asking. Yes. So rather than making it like, Hey, I wrote this post and then trying to find everywhere on the internet to post it to, which is sort of the default. Like I want to post it to Twitter. I want to post it on Reddit self-publishing and, and you should do all that stuff. But the place where it's most likely to get traction is where there is a person already looking for it. So on those, again, those obscure forums full of very real people with very real problems, uh, going into those places and looking for, oh, here's a question that I also had, didn't have an answer, now I have an answer. And you can literally say just that. Hey, I had this problem too, here's how I solved it. I wrote. You can write a little excerpt about the solution in the forum post or whatever. I wrote a more complete guide over here check it out and then when they go check that out they read through it it shows them how to solve the problem at the footer of that blog post or in the sidebar wherever it ends up sitting you can then link to your more epic guide to here's how to avoid blowing up your nook app sort of thing but like the the epic guide doesn't even have to be an epic guide if Mm -hmm. you just literally have a one pager that says these are the dimensions these are the sizes this is the code to include it that alone can be huge hugely useful and then people realize they have other image questions or issues or other formatting issues. And then you can sell them on the book that way. I mean, that part you- of part of what I'm trying to do with, with setting up this structure is for each of like the, the things that you absolutely have to do in order to make this thing function, it really should just come with a no more than one page checklist of do these things in this order. Yep. One of the things that's interesting, and, and this is just sort of, I guess, the again, again, a privilege of knowledge about the publishing business that you have, um, and, I, and you probably know more about this than I do, 
that there is likely to be some crossover audience in people that are trying to design really nice books because they care about the craft of making nice books and interest in your books. So not that this is something that you need to really be focused on now, but I'd be curious about down the road finding ways to present Lanternfish products, as in your books, right to the audience of people who had enough desire and thought you know whether it, whether it's simply to look at as an example of this is what a beautifully looking formatted Kindle book right. can look like, or hey, as someone who appreciates the craft of making really awesome looking books, take a look at some of the stuff that we've made. So I see like a like a like a, a throwing a rock in the pond. There's a couple of ripple effects down the road, some, some secondary tertiary benefits of having a list like this. That it's really tough to build a list like this for a consumer audience um, who just buys books to read. Like novels, exactly. Where you're sort of at the, at the at the at the mercy of the platforms, like you were talking yes. about before, to have a list of people who are super into books, digital books, that you own that list. When you launch something, you know that you've got some control over. Hey, we launched something new. In addition to the technical stuff, we have we make real books. Check right. out the new book we made. As opposed to those fake books. <laughs> those, Electronic books. Fake books are the ones that are still in the slush pile. <laughs> Those are just books in potentia. They're not fake. <laughs> um, I think some of them might be fake. But that's okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. What kind of questions do you have looking ahead of where you are now, Amanda, and, and sort of where, like, what do you think you want to be doing next? And what, yeah, what questions are, are being raised in your mind? The one big question that I still kind of have lurking is how much time I should spend trying to teach things like HTML and CSS. Because those were things where I had some base knowledge coming in and a lot of support around me during the process. Um, but if you're a complete newbie who, you know, finished your, your novel, your book, whatever that you want to convert, that's a huge knowledge gap that I'm not sure I'm the best person to fill. So I've been kind of grappling with that issue. So that is not a question that you can answer, I think, by looking inside yourself, but it's time to look out to the data. Are there communities of people who know enough HTML and CSS to get along who are also discussing how to format their ebooks and have questions and help each other and buy things? Probably. So if the audience is overwhelmingly people who don't already know CSS and HTML, that proposes a different fix for their problems than a book that teaches them HTML and CSS and all that stuff because that's, that's years of knowledge and you won't be there to help them and they don't probably have a programmer leaning over their shoulder to assist and uh, it can be quite terrible, really. So that to me would suggest that you need some templates that they can then just that's a good edit. Idea. That's a good idea. Because that's how everyone learns that. to program anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm trying to think of how did I learn other, other, yeah, other than it's, yeah, it's here's and yeah, it's here's how to, you know, drop in this bit of code, see what it does, take it out, see what stops, see what stops doing. Yeah, but writing for experienced people who just need to know some implementation details, and writing for people who have no idea what it is, you cannot do both in the same book or product without having problems. So that is where you need to understand your audience in order to choose which which solution to pursue. What, what format that looks like. We, we always tell our students, you can't just sit down and write a book all about X because you, you don't know who the buyer is. The buyer is going to have specific, I mean, you can't, you certainly can write it, but it'll be hard to market. 
Uh, you want to know who the who the market is. What problems do they need to solve? Hard to market and hard to finish too. Because and and for this very problem, because there's always a thing where you're trying to figure out: do they know this or not? And you and if you're not sure, the temptation is: well, I'll put it in there anyway. And that's how that's how books become giant. That's how O'Reilly writes books. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Or they stick to something like explaining the spec and offloading the job of scoping to someone else who also is bad at it. I think the 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 best part about the starting place where you are is already thinking about it as an end to end process, and the fact that there's a couple of adjustments along the way, it's not going to stop you from starting to do all this stuff. This is also stuff that you can test with e-bombs, by the way. Yeah, basically for free. Yeah, you can introduce a tip that assumes some technical knowledge into a watering hole and see if people go, that's awesome, or yeah, but I don't, what's HTML? <laughs> right. Well, and then you got your answer, right? Carl Sagan said, if you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent CSS and HTML. <laughs> Actually, he said, if you must first invent the universe, but the point stands. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm already, um, we have a, an intern with us who will be with us until the end of March, and her capstone project is doing an ebook conversion of a public domain work for us. And so I'm kind of testing out the usability of some of these things on her and thinking about how to like order and structure the process by watching someone do it who doesn't know how. That's awesome. And then I, I, I feel like once I have that in front of me, I will be able to cut and trim and reorganize and pare it down to something that works. But the question is, is a person like her going to be the one who buys the book or whatever it is, whatever form it takes? So, I mean, it's great. It's great to watch somebody like that. That's, that's honest to God, ethnography, which is sales safari. Our research <laughs> technique is based on. Which is awesome. One doesn't normally get the opportunity to literally peer over someone's shoulder as they make mistakes. Um, but but you have to ask, who's buying? Who would buy it? Who would buy it? Yeah, I guess that's not the question that I'm, I'm necessarily trying to ask when I'm testing it with our intern. What I'm trying to ask is, do I actually have the necessary pieces here? Right. Um, and I know that what come the document that I write that comes out of that process is going to be enormously long and a bit of a rabbit warren. But I think that doing those observations will ensure that like I kind of have everything in front of me to pick and choose to tailor it to an audience. But I, I'm I maybe this is a silly worry, but I worry very much about somebody picking it up and, and thinking that it will be a particular solution when I don't fully understand the steps to that solution from the perspective of a newbie. It's really, really hard to step outside of your own knowledge and your own head and figure out what should be there. Totally. Which would make me suggest, if you're my student, then why are you targeting it at newbies? It's like to do, I mean, you could literally spend your entire life training people how to do book layout, whatever, whatever the topic and the, the more, whatever the format rather, and the more formats there are, the longer you could be doing it. The whole inventing the universe thing. What I would suggest is that you go for the low-hanging fruit that you already know how to do, and then you can also do different versions of it later for the newbie or for, you know, the poet, whatever. If there, if gotcha. if the market shows that they, those audiences exist and seek seek assistance and pay for things, right? So, a lot, almost all tech books now are also published digitally, and like 
self-publishing your own technical book is becoming a much bigger thing in, in that group of authors as well as every other group, except academic authors. So it's worth finding out, who can I serve right now? And you can do that right. while writing posts about specific problems you've right. solved or specific questions people have. Especially if you're targeting folks who have some design chops, there's a very good chance that they also have some basic HTML, CSS chops at this point. So you you essentially rub that problem, you know, out of, out of the equation right there. Right. I move that we don't use that verb in that sentence again. <laughs> deal. <laughs> I caught myself mid-sentence and I tried to fix it. Too late. I don't know. Too I guess uh, maybe some of my perspective here like, just comes from being in a classroom with a bunch of students at a whole bunch of different levels and trying to figure out how to serve all of them at once, which is where my totally. training is. It's very different when it's completely of their own volition and you're taking money for it. I can see that. Nothing stops you from creating a second edition. Nope. Creating a newbies edition. Uh, basically, you know, you can always add to it. So in terms of what's the thing that's going to help the people that you're most equipped to help right now, just narrow it to that. And it's going to be easier to speak to them anyway, because you know their language. I mean, for all the reasons you said you were fearful of approaching newbies, flip that on its head. And it's all the reasons that you're best suited to approach people who have intermediate to, to advanced design experience, but have never done the Kindle conversion. Right. And there's, to Amy's point, a growing number of those every day. And given their the audience that is more design savvy, when they hit, you know, export from Ulysses or whatever, and it comes out and it looks like garbage, they're they're like, well, what the hell do I do now? Right. And yeah. then there's a process. For the record, right these issues are things that Alex and I and people in our bootstrapping group talk about on a fairly regular basis because we're all expanding into ebooks. And one of our fairly recent alumni who, I mean, Justin just closed out uh, $18,000 in pre-sales to, to wow. launch period, which is freaking awesome. Go, um, Justin. Super, super excited for him. He did this. And when we were talking, I just did a, a blog post about why we didn't do EPUB and Kindle for Just Fucking Ship and why why the JFS answer is do the easiest and add another one later. He shared some of the code snips of uh, of what he had to do to make his technical book look good because it was a priority for him and he and because he knows it was a priority for his audience. But he did some stuff that he's not proud of uh, in terms of how he accomplished that result. And even just even just having a conversation about the pain of formatting in Kindle was enough to catch his attention and speak up. That spoke volumes to me. Uh, and I think, I think that's, that's a, uh, going to be a, is a common theme and will increasingly be a common theme. Not like, oh, well, my friend said he'd buy that book is a good basis to make something obviously, even if it's us. But, um, if you survey the market and by survey, I don't mean send them a survey, but survey with your eyes and a telescope, <laughs> <laughs> you know, professional land surveying type, you look out there and you find that there's a substantial number of people who are having these discussions on their own elsewhere on those weird corners of the internet i mean just pop in and say hey i've had some html and cs experience on blah blah i learned and blah 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 and here's how you do this thing that you're trying to do and here's the code like that is huge serve the people where they're at makes sense now, now i'm all for building better customers which is something i learned from kathy sierra and to educate people once you educate them they're basically yours for life i mean assuming you do a good job right yep 
So I think you should absolutely reach out to the, the much bigger world of self-publishing later. Okay. Because you're, you're, I mean, you should absolutely observe your intern. You should record, you should make notes, but that project could literally be infinite. Yep. Which is a recipe for failure. Even if you're really good at finishing things, yeah. which you are obviously. So I think we've done a, a, I hope we've done a good job of addressing that concern. Is there anything else sort of burning in your mind in terms of what's going to, uh, what you're going to bump into coming up soon? I mean, I guess the, our, our fall catalog looks pretty scary. So I really want to get this particular project wrapped up and moving along because we want to put out four books this fall with probably September, October, November, December releases. And we'd like to take all of those books to the Brooklyn Book Festival, which is in September. So between now and August, you need to produce and print and have on hand four different books, which is a little scary. <laughs> so I think like my like sort of big anxieties, like, oh man, I gotta get this done so that I can do all these other things. That's especially where it pays to do the simplest thing that can help the most people for the amount of effort you put in. There should be some complicated like hand gesture for that. Yeah, those 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 are the do- those are the knobs though. Do the most for the least, or or something that sounds like you could put it on <laughs> a, a dollar bill. Um, do the most for the least, like JFS helped has helped so many people already. It's not for everyone, and that's fine. Uh, we'll do different stuff later. We'll do video courses, and we'll do workshops and all that crap. Um, I would focus on people you can help immediately without having to worry, how do I teach them HTML and CSS? Really, it will make your life better. And this is, none of this is final, right? This is not a book you have to send to the publisher, and it's a novel, and it's going to stand on its own forever. This can evolve forever, so don't worry about that. Second, um, you're probably not going to have a huge launch, and that's okay, because... Uh, unlike a book that you have to sell in bookstores, you can relaunch a digital product anytime. Right. It's not about making a splash of an announcement. It's about helping the customers. So whenever you find a new group of customers that you can help, that's basically a new launch. Right. Before you even get yourself too far down the path beyond the outline that you have would be to start basically set up the infrastructure to be able to start dropping some e-bombs and collecting email addresses to make the most of that launch. Because yep. uh, the truth is, is you know, it, we're not talking about thousands of people. We're talking about you can have, you can make a lot of money with hundreds of people on a list. Yes. And getting a sense of what the response from the watering holes that you already know about will give you a bit of a gauge of okay, this is going to be easy to fill up a mailing list with a bunch of people, or I'm going to need to try a little bit harder, or adjust my approach, or figure out what it is that these people are going to respond to before you've invested time in the product itself. Yeah, no, I already have um, the bones of a web page going. We haven't settled on the URL for it yet. Um, so that's in the works. And I do have a um, Squarespace page that's already linked up to uh, MailChimp and sort of got that sort of infrastructure stuff taken care of. Um, Great. I know I have quite a bit of writing to do, which is a little scary because I haven't done a lot of writing in a long time. Well, keep it keep it scale appropriate, right? So I, I, an e-bomb doesn't need to be any more more writing or even more difficult writing than a slightly polished email. Mm-hmm. Or, or the, again, if we're talking about going into one of these forum posts, finding a problem, the way you would respond to somebody would be ideally like fairly comprehensive, but again, treat it with the appropriate scale and effort. This is not a, 
publish once it's set in stone kind of guide. Put it out like put out the help in the easiest format you can because the goal is to help them quickly. The longer and longer it takes and the harder it is for you to get it out to them, the slower they can feel the benefit of being helped and thus sort of like kickstarting the the right the rest of the entire yeah. process. Also different formats can help. So when you are trying to translate a technical thing to words that are on a page that are linear, it helps a lot to instead do a video and it doesn't have to be a great video. It doesn't have to have awesome lighting or perfect sound because you're teaching a result. You're not selling them like on some music or something. Yeah. A a 10 or 15 minute screencast where you just sit down and take them through the steps that you do could be just as effective, if not more effective in a lot of cases, because they're not having to transpose back and forth between what are you describing and what does it look like? And, you know, where is it in the app and what does the code look like? And all of those things, actually, that's a great point. You remove a lot of abstraction where they have to mentally translate it and where you have to try to make sure that they can do that well. You can just eliminate that completely. Right. That's a good thought too. I'm excited for you. I'm really excited for you. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I'm excited about this project too. It it feels like something that is a, a manageable size that could do really well. Well, like I told you the time you came over for coffee, you told me that story. Uh, I was just like, I, I don't know if you had decided to do a project with that yet or not, but I was like, I would pay for that knowledge. I don't want to discover that on my own. I would break things. <laughs> Having been through like just the discovery of new technical stuff while Amy and I work together, I know Amy's temperament for, I have to do what now? (laughs) Are you, are you kidding? And there's like just things slamming and a lot of swearing. (laughs) You're making me sound like I go on a rampage. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's friendly. It's never been threatening to me. I, I, I sometimes worry about the, the, the thing which is actually being threatened. I've never actually felt like I'm in danger. I haven't broken a piece of technical equipment since 2001 when I destroyed a fax machine, but it was asking for it. I see. <laughs> I worked on my I got an Ingram Spark rep to, to hang up on me when he couldn't fix my font encryption problems. <laughs> I, I, I finally called. I was like, look, there's two ways to get off the phone with me. You can fix my problem or you can hang up. Two and a half hours later, he hung up. Wow. That'll make a great story recorded or on a blog post. (laughs) Agreed. Because especially when people are starting out, I mean, as a technical person, I would assume it can't be this bad. So to some, I wasn't thinking I needed to buy a product to teach me how to do this until you told me that story. And I was just like, fuck, I don't want to discover that on my own. So sometimes you make them feel the pain by telling a story. And then, then they not only trust you because you've gone through it already, but then they realize that they need help. You need to write these stories down or record them or something. I mean, obviously, they're in this podcast now, but uh, that would get play, I think, on Twitter. Stories of tech horror. People love that stuff. Okay. Yeah, I, I have a few that came out of this whole process. So for your like next steps, you have Squarespace. I'm assuming that has a blog component. You've got a mailing list. What Alex and I would probably recommend you do is... Find a few questions people ask or question you asked yourself as you started this process. Write up a brief but informative answer. Have a backlog of three or four of those on your blog with your calls to action to sign up for the mailing list. And say that you're going to send out a, a guide for images or a cheat sheet. Right. And then come up with one sort of splashy piece of content, like one of these horror stories. Like okay. the, crashing, the crashing one or the phone call one or, or maybe both together. And that could be like your uh, sort of 
splash out. Now people will read that and then they'll notice you have a few other posts and then they'll likely sign up for your mailing list kind of thing. Cool. But that doesn't take a lot. That takes like maybe four or five blog posts. Right. And they don't have to be long. That sounds like tackleable inside a week. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's the point. That's the whole point. Again, the most for the least. Get something useful up there and it's targeted and, and get it out ASAP. That's that's the best way to do it. Sounds good. Awesome. I'm really excited and I think we're going to buy it no matter what it looks like. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we need it sooner Help. than later. Help. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll get on that. Cool. Very cool. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, you guys. Amy and I are excited to be able to check back in with Amanda real soon and be able to update you with progress on how she's doing with her shipping of e-bombs, building of her audience, and as soon as this product is available, I know that we're going to need it and we'll let you all know about it then. But in the meantime, you've got a lot more stuff like this to look out for. Next week, we've got another one of these masterclasses coming up, so you're going to want to subscribe to the mailing list, subscribe in iTunes, podcast, wherever it is that you're listening to this so that you don't miss the next episode. Tons more great stuff coming, and we're looking forward to seeing you back real soon. Thanks for listening and have a great week.